0: of the mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be a host through to 8 this evening, broadcasting to you from Radio City Docklands, which of course sits on the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nations. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present, and my respects to any mob that are out there listening at the moment. Thank you, Vaughan, for an excellent episode of Double Bounce. I feel like we're back in the swing of things now, I think like the team's back together uh, it's always great listening to your show as I prepare for mine and I enjoy our handovers no matter how high wire and act they can be <laughs> from time to time. Um, thank you also to those that uh, filled in during the summer break, um, especially to Kalyani who um, filled in a bit for us. So thank you to everyone for putting their shoulder to the wheel and making sure that this great station of ours continues on without missing a beat. Well, it's um, it's good to be back after several weeks away from the hustle and bustle of live radio, weeks and days spent on country, riding and going about my life free from the everyday grind. But I can tell you, I have come back totally and utterly exhausted. (laughs) And it's only February the 15th. There's been a whole range of things going on, hasn't there? I mean, the pandemic continues on. Don't listen to anyone that tells you that we're coming to the end of it. We're not. We're nowhere near the end of it until the majority of the world's population is vaccinated, especially our friends in the third world. It seems that governments everywhere don't seem the don't seem to get the idea that spending billion now billions now on getting the vaccine out will save trillions of dollars later. We're always so short-sighted and short focused. Not just here, but everywhere else. Speaking of here, uh, back here at the home. Uh, we are suffering again from another spout of uh, the Tyson and Langston culture wars. The thing about the culture wars is that uh, the people prosecuting their case usually don't have any real-world real, real world consequences as a result of their rhetoric, manufactured or otherwise. The people that actually suffer are those that are on the end of the social justice arc, and particularly my mother. They have original people everywhere. Uh, The tiresome conversation around Australia Day has an emotional toll on many of us. The burden is heightened when we know that there are issues that are far more important and immediate when it it comes to those confronting First Nations people. If you listen to the show before, you'll know what some of those issues are. The trouble with this year, of course, is that it's a double election year, both state and federal, the federal one coming up first. Um, We have a federal election coming up like I said, very soon, and what we're beginning to see from the Morrison government, because their primary vote seems to have collapsed according to the polls, and that's all we can go on at the moment, it seems that the government is now embarking on a second preference strategy in which they will try and secure preference deals with the likes of One Nation and Clive Palmer's United Australia Party. So it is with this uh, in mind and in the context of all that, that I'm the first sitting day of after the anniversary of the apology to the stolen generations, some of whom we've had on the show Uncle Archie Roach, uncle Kutcher Edwards, uncle Jack Charles Ian ham um, etc etc it's on that day on the anniversary of the uh, apology to the stolen generations that the Prime Minister, in a speech to Parliament acknowledging the apology reportedly said. I'm quoting from The Guardian here, the Prime Minister has apologised for the brutality for lives damaged and destroyed. We are sorry, he said. But, and it's a big but, sorry is not the hardest word to say. The hardest word is, I forgive you. Now, that's a nice little soft signal to Hansonites and those who either don't believe that the stolen generation occurred, or think that even though it may have, it's time just to get over it. Now the thing with forgiveness is that you only get forgiveness when you stop doing the thing you're asking forgiveness for in the first place. Aboriginal children are still being removed from their families in some places at higher rates than during the stolen generations. Now, of course, the important distinction is that um, it's no longer government policy to remove Aboriginal children from their families, but because of uh, investment because of a lack of investment in parts of society that, that matter, We've created an environment of such social inequity in this country that it plays to all the hysterical stereotypes around Aboriginal people throughout the years. That means it's still easy to remove children from their culture. Systematic racism is still rife. Um, to put the to put children and mothers and aunties in prison, often without charge is to be occurring damage of doing what is intergenerational and the trauma associated, which of course is long-lasting in its effects. I could realise statistic art statistic about the plight of First Nations people in this country, but I've got a show to do. But I will say, though, no, Mr Morrison, you will not be forgiven as the representative of the Commonwealth. We just want you to do your job and listen to Aboriginal people in fixing the problem. And maybe, just maybe, a voice to Parliament might help with that a little bit, hey? Uh, Coming up on the show tonight, I'll be speaking shortly with uh, First Nations Media CEO, Dennis Stokes. Uh, First Nations Media Association has partnered partnered up with the University of Melbourne to produce a report entitled Above and Beyond Broadcasting, a study of First Nations Media during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a fascinating report, so we'll talk about that in a tick. And in the second half of the show, on a, a much heavier subject, there's fresh data that shows that tragically the suicide crisis among Victorians... Indigenous population has worsened um, over recent years, particularly since the handing down of the Royal Commission findings into mental health here in Victoria. We'll talk to the Managing Director and Founder of Strong Brother, Strong Sister, Cormac Evans, about that, and what needs to be done to address it before we lose more lives. So, stick around. Um, it's good to be back. It's going to be another wild year for the mission. It's going to be a crazy year for all of us, one way or the other, whether you like it or not. This is the mission on 102.7.
1: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R, or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the R website at rrr.org.au.
0: Now, the global pandemic has always threatened to disproportionately affect First Nations people in remote, rural and suburban settings. In response to this looming threat, First Nation media outlets have risen to the challenge of supporting and communicating with Indigenous people and broader audiences by providing targeted relevant and reliable information, and by fostering connections with individuals and in between groups. First Nations Media Association has uh, partnered with the University of Melbourne to produce a report that's had a closer look at all of this. It's entitled Above and Beyond Broadcasting, a study of First Nations media during the COVID-19 pandemic. The report focuses on media's response during the early stages of the pandemic and draws on several case studies Um, from places like uh, the Mighty 3K&D, Poor Media in the Northern Territory and Wilcannia River Radio. Uh, To go through the report a little bit and talk about um, some of the issues raised in it and some of um, the findings found, is the CEO of the First Nations Media Association, Dennis Stokes. Uh, Dennis is of both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent. I'll get him to tell us specifically which mobs he is from uh, when we get him on the line, which we're about to do now. Dennis, welcome to the mission. Uh, hi, Daniel. How are you? Very good. So tell us tell us about uh, uh, which mobs you belong to up there in the Territory and Torres Strait.
2: I'm a bit of I'm a bit of a mixed one. Um, my mother is um she's uh, she was born in Bred Darwin, which I was as well. Uh she's a waterman from the Catherine region and also Waggadogum uh from Bardiu, Mabiog Islands in the Torres Strait. Um and my dad is um he's Central Australian born, Alice Springs, and he's literature in Warramungu in Tennant Creek.
0: Well, that that makes you exotic Dennis, so I'll, yeah, I'll well, I I would just run thought- with it if I were you. <laughs> Um, first of all, um, tell us about um, the role that uh, First Nations Media Association plays.
2: Well, I think it goes back over 20 years. Um, so ERCA was the original um, organisation. They weren't a peak body. What they did was look after all the remote media associations around the country. Um, about three years ago, Um, federal government and IRCA went into discussions um, and created uh, First uh, First Nations Media Australia. So for about three years now, that's been the peak body. Um, Our role is to lobby and um, create policy on behalf of those organisations around the country. There are quite a lot of organisations... There are 40 member organisations in First Nations media and about 250 individuals. So it's spread right across the board. It is a member association, but we will still look after um, First Nations media, uh, whether they're a member or not. We'll still be involved and help them where we can.
0: Yeah, It's a great service, and I think it just goes to show the, uh, the the breadth and width and depth that uh, there is involved in, in um, First Nations media across the the country now. Um, I was yeah. really I was really happy to see um, someone who did a report um, on uh, broadcasters' uh, response to the pandemic because um, I've from my anecdotal experience listening to various uh, radio services across the country and, and here in Victoria. I just think that uh, First Nations broadcasters in particular have done a fantastic job at rising to the occasion in ensuring that um, the appropriate information um, and messaging gets to, like I said at the top of the, the intro um, here, Dennis, uh, to First Nations people, but also to broader audiences. How, how did the report come about?
2: Look, I think we needed to look at what was going on, and you know, it was it was going to be catastrophic if if the pandon, pa, pandemic hit, hit these communities. So it was really important that we looked at what what are the issues out here, what needs to be done, and what is working and what's not. And so we need to have a look at you know very insightfully as to how we will deal with this situation. Now, obviously, the report was from the beginning of the pandemic. So there's probably things that need to be added to that now. So we, we will look at actually furthering that report down the track, if need be.
0: Yeah, it's really important that we have um, some case studies as um, are detailed in this, re- in this report, because um, I have a horrible feeling that this may not be the last pandemic of our lifetime, or that this pandemic might continue on in various guises for, for a while yet. Um, one of the um, uh, things I found interesting in the report, Dennis, was that it um, highlighted the fact that you've got to be really mindful of audience fatigue when it comes to to the pandemic. And um, because everyone's talking about it in their daily lives, you see it on the news, um, you hear it on the radio often or not, and you've you heard it on this program. Um, there were some really innovative ways that some stations and some broadcasters went to actually making sure that pandemic fatigue didn't kick in as, as hard as it could.
2: Yeah, look. I think messaging is really important, and I think um, you know, pandemic fatigue uh, is there to exist. Um, and if people keep hearing, you're just gonna you're just gonna um, forget about it and just go on with your uh, daily life. Um, I think if you look at Will Wilcannia and Paul Media and Three K and B, they were really proactive in making sure that their communities were given the right messaging. I think Will Wilcannia, because they were hit. As mm-hmm. an indigenous community first really went out there and said, "How are we going to make sure that our community is listening and um, you know they went out there and they they looked at what was going on in the community and said, "Well, you know what, if the kids aren't at school let's create programs on the radio let's um, and do all sorts of other programs that um, the community would listen to so that's what happened then and they you know they they came through it, and they came through it in flying colours.
0: They did, and they also did a great job, Will Wilcannia, of um, bringing other media outlets into Wilcannia and and letting them see what the what the plight was like on the ground, which um, actually, I, I guess, would have rendered more assistance from the New South Wales government because of that media scrutiny.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that was the case across the country, you know, and I think well, Kenya was who they led the way. So um, using them as a case study was really important. And um, other stations followed their lead when, you know, when that started to happen in their communities as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the, the report has um, a number of uh, findings and a number of lessons. They are separate. Um, Let's just talk about um, a couple of Of the findings. Uh, One of the findings um, in the executive summary here is that state and federal government um, Indigenous health roundtables and advisory groups could benefit from providing opportunities for First Nations media representatives to share their knowledge. Uh, Talk us through that um, finding, if you could, Dennis. Yeah,
2: look, I think, um, you know, a lot of our community are living uh, in remote and regional areas, so I think when decisions are being made, those people are not at the table. The media the media sector and the um, grassroots media sector are not at the table. I can go into meetings and sit there as well and just give out um, a whole bunch of information and uh, percentages and whatever else, but I think we need to get the stories and have those people sitting at the table and, and talking to government and for them to be listening to what is going on in those communities firsthand. I can always give this information, but it has to come from those communities and those people.
0: Yeah, and, and, and yeah, it is, and and you know, um, media representatives and, and broadcasters. You know, um, some of us speak to you know um, dozens, if not hundreds, of people a year, and um, I know from my own experience that I've I've spoken to probably probably twenty or so people in relation to the pandemic itself, and I like to think that you know someone with. Uh, my skill set and with the, um, the, the knowledge and um, the expertise from people that I speak to on a weekly basis about these sorts of things um, could feed into a, to a mechanism somewhere.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we are looking at that and that's something we want to uh, make sure that that is happening out. Um, obviously, things take time, but um, I think we, we are going in the right direction and we are taking those steps to make sure that um, those sort of mechanisms are there
0: and one of the other uh, one of the one of the other findings Dennis which is uh, from from my perspective uh irrefutable fact is that first nations media is an essential service for the communities it serves and especially so in times of crisis and the pandemic has highlighted that better than anything else hasn't it
2: yeah it has look there's been a lot of things that have come from first nations media we've worked with government we've worked with other organisations um you know we, we we've gone out there and done a uh, infrastructure audit you know seeing what what's what's happening in the community what's lacking there in terms of interest, infrastructure um and resources um so these are really important programs that've come through this
0: now the report also has um, a number of lessons that would have been garnered throughout the production of the report, and it is a sizable report and, and quite exhaustive. Um, what what are some of the lessons that were discovered from producing this report?
2: I think look, one of the main ones is making sure that First Nations people are giving, are actually creating and doing the messaging. So one of the um, programs that we did with the Department of Health, federal Department of Health is do a vaccine rollout campaign where First Nations media and, and organisations work to creating um, messaging that goes out to the community. It might have went out there in language, in whether that's Creole, whether that's um, you know, the local language, and it, it's specific to what was happening there. It was also um, being created by people and for messaging for their own people. So I think that's really important. We can always put our messaging from the government, but I think... We've realised that that probably doesn't work all the time. What we need to do is make sure that these organisations are creating that messaging for their for their communities.
0: Yeah, they're the I think people that's having- really important. Yeah, yeah it, it is. They're the people having conversations with their own mob every day. Yeah. They know the vernacular. They know the things that resonate with, with people um, far more than anyone sitting in a an in office in, in Canberra would. Um, one of the things that the report also found as, as, as a lesson is that there are areas of um, Australia where there isn't First Nations broadcasting services in areas that need that sort of connectivity so what sort of areas are we talking about and and how do we fix that one
2: um look i think you know we can even be talking about urban areas where the um so let's let's talk about adelaide where there's noonga for example they do a two-hour program each monday that may be the only information people are getting sometimes within that urban space we need to look at how are we making sure that there is a voice for these communities as well um there are other areas around the country. There's not large Aboriginal populations, and we. How do we get that message into them as well? This is a big job. It, I think it's happening, but it's going to take a while. Um, but I think we are moving in the right direction here.
0: Now you're a, you're a Darwin, if, if I'm uh, not incorrect, is that correct? Yeah, one and in Darwin. And you're still there. Um, how's how's the um, uh, response up there to COVID nineteen um, panning out at the moment? Uh, we know, I've we actually know. been
2: based in Adelaide and Alice Springs, but um, from my yeah. understanding, it's it's been quite difficult for everybody up there. I think, um, look, the Northern Territory as a whole had thought, you know, they did really well to keep it at bay, and then all of a sudden it's gone through the roof. So I think there was a 1,000 cases today, or there is a... So um, I think people are worried, Um it's going to be a bit of a task to get it back under control, but um I think you know knowing my family and friends living back up there, they they, they are worried about it.
0: Yeah, and there does seem to be sort of alarming alarmingly low rates of uh, vaccination and uh, vaccinations in some communities as well, which is uh, very concerning.
2: Yes, and I think um, look there was, and there, but it sort of rose after the vaccination campaign went out, um, but it's still quite low and it needs to be addressed and I think AMSANT which is the main health organisation in the Northern Territory for Indigenous people um, they're working with government to make to see what they can do to keep it under control.
0: And again that's where uh, First Nation uh, broadcasting and media, media outlets can play a significant role in terms of getting that messaging out. So the job in terms of <clears throat> uh, the role of uh, Indigenous broadcasters in this pandemic is far from over.
2: No, no. I think, and I think there's a lot more that we need to be doing as well. And I think, um, but um, we're all working together, and um, I think we'll get there in the end.
0: If people want to get a hold of the report, they can just go to the First Nations Media Association website. Is that correct? Yes,
2: yeah, the First Nations Media Australia, and it is on there. You can just open the link, and you can down, download it.
0: Fantastic. And um, like you said, the report itself will probably be looked at again as we get further into the pandemic because it was uh, produced at the start of the pandemic. So um, is work underway now to sort of, I suppose, provide another iteration of the report?
2: We were actually in discussions with that and and to look at this report. and um, We haven't had any um, official discussions yet, but we have, um, you know, we've said that we probably do need to do that in the near future.
0: All right, well, I wish you all the best, Dennis. Um, is there anything else on the horizon for uh, First Nations media that um, you'd like to share with us?
2: Um, look, we're going to do a lot of work this thing. I, look, we're going to look at doing a lot of branding this year and you know, really get um, the word out there that we are the peak body. We want to work with all the First Nations media organisations and outlets out there. So um, I think people will be hearing a lot more of us this year.
0: Well, that's fantastic, and hopefully the pandemic will keep it uh, Bay and make the work of uh, you uh, doing that a whole lot easier than it has been in the last couple of years. But um, until then, thank you so much for your time. Uh, It'll be great to have you on the, the show again and um, good luck and take care. No worries. Thank you, Daniel.
1: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
0: Um, Now, the reasons why someone commits suicide are complex and buried. Some of the factors that we do know about, as recently highlighted by the Victorian coroner, include substance abuse, insecure housing and contact with police in the justice system close to the time of death. So with those issues in mind, you may be shocked to learn that the latest statistics from the Victorian coroner show that since the results of the Mental Health Rule Commission were published in 2021, there has been a 75% increase in Indigenous suicides with young men and men and those, sorry, with young people, men, and those in regional communities most at risk. The figures are startling and remind us that these things like intergenerational trauma, uh, having 40% 40 of Aboriginal people living below the poverty uh, line, and a justice system that treats us like a commodity is not something that should surprise any of us, but it is something that we can go a long way to fixing. Our next guest is one of those people working hard with Aboriginal youth to do just that. Strong Brother, Strong Sister is a culturally appropriate, safe place for Aboriginal young people to access, uh, to access and to thrive. The structure and part of the programs within the space guide and mentor and empower Aboriginal young people to to achieve excellence. Uh, the outcomes from these programs not only guide, mentor and empower Aboriginal young people, they also improve Aboriginal young people's health and well-being. The Managing Director of Stronger Brother, Strong Sister is Cormac Evans, and he's on the line with us now. Cormac, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No sweat. Tell us, first of all, who, who who's your mob? Yes, yeah, so I'm a, you're the order seller,
1: so but grew down on water on Country um, in Geelong, and um, I'm currently up, currently up on... Like,
0: yeah, I saw um, I saw some photos of you today while I was um, doing research for the interview. And you're a good-looking rooster. And when you tell me that it's, uh, you're yorta yorda, I'm not at all shocked.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> now you're yarning with uh, young people um, all the time, uh, trying to you know empower them and, and raise self-esteem across the place. Well, what are you hearing on the ground about how uh, young people are feeling in 2022?
1: Yeah, I think. Um yeah, I think what we've seen obviously over the last couple of years, is, um, you know, obviously the, with lockdowns and everything else, obviously with the ripple effect of COVID and and how that's played a huge role in um, the social settings for young and old, I guess. Um, but what we've sort of seen and hearing at the moment from our young ones is, you know, that disconnection from you know, our peer groups and, and um, you know, country and culture and, you know, and all those things that, um, I guess, empower and um, give energy to our young ones and keep them, you know, inspired and, you know, and feeling really great. So it's those, for us, we're seeing a lot of disconnects in sort of many different social settings. And then, I guess, the anxiety of trying to reconnect in some ways. So we've got young ones that have, you know, obviously either come through justice or um, experienced homelessness or, um, Been involved in out of home care or just, um, you know, experienced many different other settings and have come through that and healed. And but then all obviously had to go back into, I guess, isolation and sort of start that journey again, in a sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess very vast and different with each individual's journeys and their experiences. But it's very common in many ways is that disconnection.
0: So, um, you, be- you- you mentioned you mentioned a couple of couple of issues there. You know, obviously contact with the justice systems uh, system is one homelessness. Um, what, what are some of the other? And of course, the overlay of all of this is you know the pandemic. What What are some of the other causes of uh, the disconnect that are, that a lot of young people are feeling or experiencing at the moment?
1: Um, I think for us, we see. You know, I can't speak on behalf of all young mobs, but I, I'd say. Just at, um, just that reconnect, you know. I guess back into everyday life, and you know whether it's going going back into school, and um, you know, and obviously some school settings aren't the greatest for our kids, and you know don't support our kids um, to with their cultural identity and you know just their own identity in many ways. And um, so I think, yeah, just again, it's very vast, but just the the real the anxiety around. Just stepping back into community and stepping back into that um, that busy and um, lifestyle that you know that hasn't happened in the last couple of years yeah and I, I
0: think I think um, the two very separate things aren't they Cormac in terms of getting yourself getting yourself right and feeling like you're back on the path to sort of re-entering um, society and and social settings and work settings but then the the other element, like as you've touched upon already, is is the anxiety around that. You know, okay, I am now back again being myself. Will I be accepted in some of these settings? I've worked so hard to get to where I am, and so the anxiety of going into those settings again must be um, sky high for some young fellas.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think even just you know, even just going to the supermarket or the shop, you know, shopping centres and everything, and. You know, not you know and you know loud noises and movement and and everything else as well. But obviously, then looking at you know the underlining issues that have been around for you know 250 years. And you know when you talk when we talk about racism, discrimination, and you know, those other sort of underlying factors that our kids and our you know and our old people still face today as well play a huge role in that as and you know and um, play a huge role on mental health and in other areas. <laughs>
0: It is 18 to 8 here this Tuesday evening. I'm speaking with uh, Cormac Evans, who is the founder and managing director of uh, Strong Brother, Strong Sister, which is 100% aboriginally owned and operated and it assists uh, Aboriginal youth with um, basically improving their social and emotional wellbeing. Um, you deal with uh, people every day, um, Cormac, Cormac. Um, we, we've spoken about the appalling rise, uh, rise in um, Indigenous suicides. Young people being uh, a significant cohort of that seventy-five percent. Um, from from your experience, what what are some of the key points of friction that can steer a young person down the path towards self harm and suicide?
1: Yeah, I think there's. I think the biggest one that we saw. Um, over time and, you know, whether it was just working in community but also just in their everyday life was the wait period for anyone to be able to actually access, you know, supports, you know, in terms of, you know, early intervention or prevent- preventative support. Um, you know, some kids are waiting six to eight weeks, even even longer. So, um, you know, a lot can happen in a week or 24 hours, you know, but let alone eight or more weeks, you know, a lot can happen in that period of time. So um, being at a, I guess, you know, when the, when a young person identifies, they, you know, they're not coping or they've got a lot on their plate and you know, they're not in a safe place, you know, mentally, physically and everything else as well. To actually have support and um, um, services involved at that time is, is crucial to be able to link in and ensure that they're safe ensure that people around them know where they are um, and what's going on for them to be able to, again, wrap those, that, I guess, that safety net of supports around them to make sure that they, now they're they here with us for many years to come. Um, and so through that, we were sort of able to create a program that just funded access um, for young people and children in the Geelong region, down on Waterong country. And uh, so the young person comes to us and... Uh, that needs support and you know, identifies the, the suicidal or you know, they've got suicidal thoughts or they are having a difficult time, we're able to link them in with the psychologist and cover the costs of that to make sure that there's no waiting time. And we've also got our own mental health team there of First Nations um, young people that are counsellors and psychologists and everything else that we've supported over the years to pursue those pathways. So just being at a... I guess, get in there straight away and make sure that they've got really good support around them and know that, you know, they're valued and they're loved and they're safe and they matter and they're, you know, a part of something truly special, you know, and, you know, obviously the oldest living culture in the world and and everything else as well. So I think that's the biggest thing is just making sure that they've got those supports straight away. And then obviously looking at culture and how culture plays a role in, um, in all of us as First Nations people, and um, how it, you know, we get, we gain identity and belonging, and but also empowerment and those really deep connections and
0: and everything else as well. You provide you provide a brilliant service, and it's something that you set up yourself. Uh, if I'm if I'm correct, Cormac, you, yep. you did that at the age of 27. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, Stronger Brother, Stronger Sister is a fantastic service. It's available to, 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 to kids in, in Geelong who, who, who need help. Um, but talking more broadly about the, the mental health system as a whole, would you would you go as far as saying that as a whole the mental health system is actually failing First Nations people at the moment? 100%. 100%. Um, that's, you
1: know, there's a long way to go and it's, and it's clear there's solutions and... And solutions that can be embedded immediately, you know, and um, can save lives immediately as well. And, um, you know, we've seen, um, I think, in the last six months, you know, around 80 young people with, have been supported just in um, the Geelong region with suicide intervention and um, prevention supportive services. And, um, and that's in just one small region. And so, you know, to be able to have programs like ours, you know, and community leading and they're in each different community, you know, with each community leaders being able to determine those programs and young people to be able to provide voice. You know, it's a really simple way of working that government can really learn from, you know, learn from yeah. us again as First Nations people, you know, and we've been here for uh, so long now and we know what we want, we know what we need and I think it's about being able to listen and and respect and just allow that, uh, you know, be determined by us Muslims and and communities.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably an opportune time now um, just to remind anyone that's going through a hard time at the moment that um, there's always someone to to speak to and um, 13, 11, 14 is the number for a lifeline and there's always someone at the end of that line. That can speak to you and help you get through whatever you're, you're getting through. Um, if people um, want to um, seek help from um, Strong Brother, Strong Sister, Cormac, how, how do they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, um, most ways is we can contact us on 03 52 010987, um, um, or um, you can Google Strong Brother, Strong Sister, and there'll be a range of different numbers to get to contact. Um, we've got an Instagram page and a Facebook page, and you um, can have a yarn with any of our our staff through that page as well, and it's all private
0: confidential. So it's um, really important for people to know isn't it yeah. that it, that that everything that um, is spoken of within the four laws or preceding, or post uh, contact with uh, strong brother or strong sister and the services that you provide is one hundred percent confidential and won't go any further. Yeah, that's
1: correct, that's correct.
0: So that number was um oh three five two zero one zero nine eight seven, is that correct? That's correct. Ooh, write that down properly. Um what what else needs to be done, um, Cormac? You know, there there are no band-aid solutions. What you what you do is provide is providing a, a fantastic service for, for kids in crisis and to get them back up on their feet and um you know refine themselves i guess but there are a whole bunch of other much broader deeper issues at at play if you were made president of the world what what's the one thing that you would do to help reduce indigenous suicide rates well you know at at a systemic social societal political cultural level what's the one thing that you would do
1: well, yeah, geez, I've never been asked that before. That's a real good question. I'm
0: um, well, making you president of the world for a day. Yeah,
1: I know that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> um, no, I think um, I think literally being out of hand, you know, I, I ensure that us, you know, in First Nations communities, and um, yeah, can lead and and determine the the solutions and the supports and. comes to each of their communities um you know i guess the trust us as well be provide that and you know uh listen and provide what what's needed to communities to allow them to be great and to allow them to thrive and to allow them to do what they do um would be the biggest thing and you know from that comes excellence from that comes you know, so many different ripple effects of the outcomes and uh, for community and the and the greater community as well. So, yeah, I think just giving, um, yeah, giving to communities to allow them to to take charge.
0: Yeah, what what you're saying is what we've basically been saying for generations now is that you know we know our people. Um, better than anyone else and that therefore we have better positions to assist those people. We have the skill sets, we have the smarts, we have the systems and we have the infrastructure increasingly now to actually do that. So just listen to Aboriginal people um, yeah. when it comes to identifying some of these issues and to addressing them. And a case in point is a strong brother, strong sister. Um, Cormac, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, thank you. Anything else you want to share with the audience? Anything at all? No, no I just think um, for
1: anyone that is listening, that you know, going through um, you know difficult times, know there is support out there, but also know that you know there's you know there's people around that truly care and value each and every one of us, um, you know, and that we're always loved and we're always valued, and um, you know, and so um, yeah, there's always there's always light and there's always people around and there's always places. We can access for to be able to stay safe and and um, yeah continue on and being here for for many years to come and again just highlighting that we are a part of something truly special and and unique and um, and there's always yeah people around that love and care for us.
0: Well, thank you Cormac and thank you for the light that you provide for um, so many kids. Uh, across the place, long may it continue. Um, But uh, look, thank you for your time and we'll have you on the show again. Uh, There's so many issues to talk about. um, But in the meantime, look after yourself and uh, stay safe.
1: You too. Thanks for having me again and take care, brother.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.